As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. In his book, The English Ghost, Spectres Through Time, author Peter Aykroyd suggests that there are more reports of ghosts and hauntings and more ghost stories altogether in England than anywhere else in the world. And Ham House, sitting on a gloomy, somewhat swampy corner of the Thames, upriver from Richmond Hill, is among the most haunted in the country. Ghosts have been startling visitors there since the 19th century. The list is long when it comes to recognising which spectre you are bumping into at Ham House. From broken-hearted lovers, to the family pets, to the king himself. All seem to find a reason to find the house a great spot for a little bit of haunted rest from the rest of the world outside. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we look at the endless line of ghosts that call Ham House their home away from heaven. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. An intriguing tale tells of the six-year-old daughter of a 19th century butler at Ham House who was invited by the then owners, the ladies Tolmash, to stay at the property. In the early hours of the morning, the girl awoke to find a little old lady scratching with her fingers upon the wall by the fireplace. Sitting up to get a better view of the stranger, she seemed to disturb the woman who came to the foot of the bed and proceeded to stare at the child with a fixed, dead, horrible gaze. This sent the child into screaming hysterics, which in turn alerted other members of the household who came racing to the room. They could find no sign of the old woman. But, on searching the wall, they uncovered a secret compartment in which were papers that proved Elizabeth, the Countess of Dysart, had murdered her first husband in order that she might marry the Duke of Lauderdale. 
Well, thank you for that short and sweet introduction, Anne. Well, I, I had to use this one because it was actually a gift. Mm-hmm. This book was sent to us. It's called Haunted Britain and Ireland by Richard Jones and... It was sent to us by Mel from the Snowy Mountains. Oh, thank you, so, Mel. Just letting you know, Mel, it's getting used. So we've uh, taken the story for the soundscape today from that. Oh, awesome. We get some beautiful um, gifts from our listeners. Thank oh, you very, too. very much. You, um, I'm just giving you permission to send us more if you like. Oh, yes. P.O. Box 2285. Uh Dangar, D A N G A R, not danger, but Dangar. Um, it's look if you look up uh, ghostgrannies.com, you'll find it. It's all written there. <laughs> Dangar, New South Wales. Don't know what the postcode is. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get on to Ham. Ham House. What a wonderful name, Ham House. Oh, no. And uh, it is one of those grand places in England that you can just imagine if you stand in front of it, oh, all these beautiful ladies coming out um, in their beautiful dresses, a little bit like Bridgerton, you know, yes. the, the whole Bridgerton scene. Yes. It, uh, it does look a little bit like that. But it's close enough to uh, London, I guess, that uh, it would be a place of rest and respite for people and that's what it was used for throughout the years. Yeah, I, I remember when I was watching some things on it, they were saying people could hardly believe that this was 10 miles from England yes. because it was so quiet and peaceful. London. Yes. London, what did I say? England. <laughs> <sighs> More coffee is required. More coffee, more coffee. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, and honestly, um, there were things going on in that house. If the walls could talk, and, and that's why, yes, ghost, ghost tours, paranormal investigations are really needed because I'm sure those walls could talk, Got will to dig talk. The dirt. And, yes, many, many interesting intrigues would be found. I don't think there was wandering willies in this case. I think it was wandering waffles. Oh, look, <laughs> some of the ladies, some of the ladies there, especially uh, Elizabeth. Canadian uh, waffles. There we go. That's for Steve. <laughs> um, yes, were um, trying very hard to make sure that uh, the estate would not go off to anybody else but stayed within the family. So Ham House is a 17th century house set in formal gardens on the bank of the River Thames in Ham, south of Richmond, in the London borough of Richmond-upon-Thames. That's go. a mouthful. That's where you're going to find it. Now, it was leased by William Murray from King Charles I in 1626 and it was transformed by William and later his daughter Elizabeth. Elizabeth had a lot to say about this house. Yes, Elizabeth's a very important character. Yes. It survived the English Civil War and parliamentary rule and it was home to Elizabeth's descendants for almost three centuries. That's pretty impressive to to retain it for that long. Yes, yeah. She made sure she... Oh, good honour. Yeah, she you know, really made sure that this place stayed in the family. What a strong woman in mm-hmm, those times. Mm-hmm. So the house that you would go and visit today is a really rare example of the fine and great Stuart houses that were built of the time. Now, why is Ham House called Ham House? Let's go there. <gasps> because they were fabulous at baking hams and they had a lot of pigs. No, oh. no. So I'm going to go back to the actual name and where it derives from. So Ham's... I'm fascinated. I know. I know you can't wait. Uh Ham's existence was first recorded around 1150. And the name derives from the old English Ham, H-A-M-M, which meant land in the river bend. But I've also found it meaning village and home. So there you go. I'm covering everything. So Henry V acquired the manor of Ham, H-A-M-M-E, up, up Kingston, spelt up Kingston. Uh, in, <laughs> You've got to send the E's, you know, English E. Yeah, in 1416. Uh, and we do know that there is um, a place called Kingston um, because my friend Gail lived there for a while. Oh, that, that's right. Yeah, uh, Bringing the village into a closer relationship with the royal estate at Richard, uh, Richmond-upon-Thames. So Ham essentially means village. And to take it a step further, H-A-M in Old English means home, which can sort of double for village, whatever. But, I mean, a, a lot of the um, places in England do have ham at the end. Yeah, Buckingham. Yeah, yeah. 
Nottingham. <laughs> Nottingham. Yes. Is that a place? Oh, don't know. It is now. No. <laughs> you mean Nottingham? Yeah, well, Nottingham. Yep. <laughs> it was, as I mentioned, a place of escape. It was thought of as this oasis, a peaceful rural, rural, rural place where the the upper echelon of society could come and escape like they needed to escape honestly really they had their bums wiped by other people <laughs> and they needed to escape give me a break I but really anyway feel sorry for the person that had that job oh no i'll tell you about know, that in a minute i know I'll tell you're you going there again i know yep. you were excited about that mm-hmm. so built in 1610 for sir thomas vavasseur um, who was King James's first, King James the First's Knight Marshal? It was really uh, given to him or, or built for him as a retirement place. Oh, the retirement home, is but, it? Yeah, it's a retirement home. <laughs> oh. You don't put stairs in retirement homes. <laughs> God. <laughs> And in 1626, the house was leased to the first Earl of Dysart, William Murray, a close friend of the King of King Charles I and groom to the King's bedchamber. I'll get to that in a minute. Oh. You're talking about stairs. Um, there is a f- picture of the staircase, grand staircase yes. in this house, yes. house mansion, and you've never seen anything like it. It is stunning. They say that there is no other staircase in England to match. It is just completely carved with just the most beautiful um, fruit and um, everything, all, all of these pictures that wow. go along the staircase as you walk up it. It's just I saw the servant staircase and it was very tight, windy sort of thing that went up and you sort of looked up through the middle of it and it was just floor upon floor. Remember at Charleville, it reminded me of that, but much more compact. Yes, yes. So we go back to the groom. And uh, we've we've covered this a little bit before, the groom of the stool. Groom of the stool. <laughs> Very important job. And uh, in the uh, information that oh, I was I just, reading... I just had a visual then. I did not need that in my mind. I really uh, didn't. In, in um, uh, reading about this particular story, uh, it said that it's still a matter of debate as to whether the duties involved cleaning the king's anus. I'm sorry, oh, that's what, what was written. Cleaning the king's anus. Well, he did a but, poop. But the, I don't know what they cleaned it with. They had towels. That's right, towels. <gasps> oh, ooh. Oh, who ooh. had the job of washing those? <laughs> but oh. the groom, the groom was known to have been responsible for supplying a bowl, water, and towels, and also for monitoring the king's diet and bowel movements. <laughs> <laughs> and liaising with the royal doctor about the king's health. Now. You I, might think that this is the worst I, job, <laughs> the worst job ever, but yeah. it was a prized position. You could not get any more intimate other than whoever he had in his bed yeah. at the time than being there looking up his <laughs> bum hole and checking looking his Looking to stools. the planets of Uranus. Um, I, I'm trying to work out how... This happens, right? It, I, I gather they sit on the throne, very like that one that we had at the castle in Kennedy yeah. Castle. Ken, Kennedy, got to say it correctly. Uh, did, did they just sort of stand up and rock forward a bit so the groom could get underneath there and no, wipe they, him down, or did the did the, the groom have to slide in like you know the the, the <laughs> car mechanics on the the wheelie back and just slide in underneath it and give it a bit of a pat and a wipe and yeah you're good to go king off you go I don't know how they did it that concerns me I need to know <laughs> I'll try if anyone knows a book. About the grooms, I'll the, find one for you. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's groom somewhere. of the stool, the <laughs> stool of the groom. <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> oh, so uh, we are talking about a most haunted house in yeah, England. But I had to do that for my grandmother once. She was really, really ill, and um, she we could get her out to the bathroom, and I had to. I, it was really difficult to get down there with the toilet paper and get in. And I've never had to do anything like that. I only had to ever do it once, thankfully. And I know there are many carers out there who have to do this regularly. But it was difficult to manage to get her to lean against me to be able to then get down in there and not put your fingers through the toilet paper. 
Sorry. Too much information. Renata's not talking. Her glasses are fogged up. Oh. Well, you started it. You brought up the groom of the stool. I know. I know. But maybe maybe people haven't listened to that episode, so I had to go through it again. Okay. <clears throat> the thing about this was <clears throat> that this particular person was the king's friend, best friend. And so he gave him the best job that he could think of. Um, okay. <laughs> the, the groom gave the king the best job no, he the could king, think of? No, no, the a little king, bit of a tickle while the, we're down there. The king, yeah, all right, okay. Um, so, Just move on, Renata, leave it. Yeah. English historian and television presenter David Starkey writes, The groom of the stool had the most menial of tasks to our eyes. His standing, though, was the highest. Clearly, then, the royal body service must have seen an entire honourable, uh, have been seen as entire, entire, entirely... Banff. Entirely. Entirely, yep. Yes, honourable. Without a trace of the demean... Without the trace... Without... <laughs> There's an echo. Without a trace. Without a trace. Of the demeaning or the humiliating. Well, it would be, that would be when they're at their most vulnerable. Yeah. Further, the mere word of the gentleman of the privy chamber was sufficient evidence in itself of the king's will. And the groom of the stool bore the indefinable charisma of the monarchy. That person's had a thesaurus out and found fancy words. (laughs) To say they weren't looked down upon, they had a good job. They had a really good job. Oh, oh come on, what's next it, after that? Oh, no, everything else after just, that is just a goes cigarette? down, goes, <laughs> goes down, goes down. Um, now, there was a modernisation of Ham House uh, and that was launched in 1637 to 39. So it took two years to then style it um, in the style of a French court. So there was a, a grand ceremonial <laughs> staircase, which um, we just talked about, and there were added staterooms leading into the grand dining room the Grand North Drawing Room, the Grand Long Gallery and the Grand Green Closet. Apparently you were nothing if you didn't use the word grand before it. Well, I added all of those. Oh, okay. But I sort of This is how fake stories start, Renata. Yeah, they've got a green closet, a black closet and a a white closet, I believe. And they were all little hidden um, apartments in the buildings where they did things that they didn't want anyone else to see. Oh, okay. Now, on uh, upon the outbreak of the English Civil War in 1642, England was thrown into much turmoil. William supported the royalist cause. So this is the groom of the stool. But after Charles I was beheaded, um, William was exiled to Holland. Right, so they, This they, is the they groom him, of the stool? Yes, because he knew all of the secrets. Oh, right, okay. Yes, so, so this so is they the groom to, of the stool telling this? Yes, so they had to, they had to remove him. Oh, Mm -hmm. he broke the sacred code of the pooping room. So he, uh, his wife, Catherine Bruce, stayed at Ham House looking after her five daughters. And after she died in... (laughs) That would have been fun. Mm -hmm. After she died in 1649, the running of the house fell to her oldest daughter, Elizabeth William. Oh, sorry, Elizabeth. Now, William remained in exile until his death in 1653. So um, Catherine never saw her husband again. Oh, I don't now, know what to say about that. Uh, she married Lionel Tolmash, 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 Tolmash uh, in 1648, a year uh, before her mother's death. They had 11 children together who grew up in Helmington Hall in Suffolk. So she had 11 children with Sir Lionel and... Um, yeah, she's a baby making machine. She was a baby making machine, and then when he died in 1669, Elizabeth married again for a second time to John Maitland, who was the second Earl of Lauderdale, which I think you've you um, talked about in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 1672, he was made a duke. So the couple set about transforming their home into one that would match his status and at great expense. And this is where kind of the downfall started because they got themselves into a huge amount of debt Ooh. in doing this. So illness forced the Duke's resignation from government in 1689 and two years later he was dead. This left Elizabeth in a huge mess. 
because debt wasn't going away. So it was all about what can she do to um, make sure that she's not left homeless. So what does Elizabeth do? with all those children. Yeah, she gets married again, of course. Good honour. So, but she lived in the house alone for another 17 years. That's a pretty long time. Um, And uh, it was then passed uh, on to her eldest son from her first marriage, Lionel Tolmash. He looked after the house and cut out the floor of the dining room where Charles II once dined. And um, he did that to create a grand entrance hall before passing on the property to his grandson when he died in 1727. So we're just going along yeah, we're getting the all timeline. The generations, yep. yep. The fourth earl, after commissioning a survey, set about rebuilding again and replacing windows in the house, as well as spending large sums of money on new silver. Because mm. oh. we need new spoons. Don't That's we? right. And a good forking every now and then. <clears throat> yes. It then passed to the fifth earl in 1770, who kept visitors away and refused entry to George III. Oh, that's a bit risky. Now, when he died without children in 1779, the house went to his younger brother, the sixth earl. He also set about redecorating the house yet again um, by cleaning floors and buying 17th century replica chairs. Oh, oh replica. Oh, replica. We're faking it now. Oh. Now, he also died, um, of course, and the house was bequeathed to his elderly sister Lady Louisa Manners in 1828. We're getting closer. Then the 8th Earl, who succeeded in 1840, uh, he preferred to actually live in his London home. Uh, and so he kind of gave the house to his son William, Lord Huntington Tower. Hunting Tower, that's it. Lord Hunting Tower. His name's Hunting Tower. Lord Hunting Tower, uh, who died in 1872. Now, then a group of cousins took over the house for 12 years before it was passed to the ninth Earl in 1884, who had watercolours commissioned to record the state of the house before it was repaired yet again. Now, structural work was carried out on the house um, to put in heating and uh, electrics. And uh, then the Earl, this Earl again, died childless in 1935. Oh, because, you know, they're inter- interbreeding these people. Well, they are. Yeah. They do, because they've got to keep the, the bloodlines pure. Yes. Uh. And then the house then went to his second cousin, Sir Lionel Tolmash. So back in the family. Back in the yeah, family. Swirling back around. Uh, it actually, the house survived the uh, London bombings. Yes, I read that. They were surprised how it, well it survived it. Yes, but and it was then given to the National Trust in yeah. 1948. Apparently, it became very overgrown and and in uh, needing some repairs and work done to it. Yeah, so the government bought its contents, uh, which they leased to the Victoria and Albert Museum, <coughs> and then the contents were bought back to the house in 2002. Uh, you probably talk a little bit about um, the servants' quarters. Um, yes, I do. But there is this huge difference between upstairs and downstairs. Oh, the whole upstairs downstairs TV series. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. But yeah. weren't the servants normally kept downstairs in those ones? Yes. Here they were kept upstairs. Oh. Uh, there was uh, rooms at the very top, which were very small rooms that overlooked the inside of the roof where all the chimneys were, and so they did not have the best views. the The people downstairs had the best views. Uh, well, there is also in this house the world's oldest surviving bathroom, oh. which Elizabeth installed uh, at a time when grooming was an infrequent and ill-understood practice. Yes. She liked to keep fresh oh. and she liked to go and hide down in the... That, that's where that... Remember I was talking about the tight spiral stairs? Yes. Down the bottom was where her bathroom was. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you have anything more to say on the bathroom? Uh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Because I watched this little video and she had this sheet, which was like a giant poncho, and you put your head through the middle of it and then she would get into the bathroom there. So the idea of that... It, it looked like one of those round Swedish wooden tubs uh-huh. and she'd get in with the the sheet, the poncho over the top of it, so nobody could see her bathing. Uh But it was also to keep her hair dry. Uh 
mm-hmm. and then she would get out and she'd just move a few steps and lay down on this bed where they would massage her in essential oils. And then oh. she would sneak back up into her room so nobody would know that she'd just had a bath and got clean. Oh, my gosh. I have done my research. Wow. I'd be surprised. that is amazing. <laughs> well, I, d- I just want to finish off saying that um, Ham House has been included in uh, a f- quite a few movies. Yes. And um, this one will be a surprise, uh, Spice World. What? Spice World. <laughs> I know. I didn't know that. <laughs> in 1997. Now, I'm assuming that's to do with the Spice Girls, that one. There's a lot of people shaking their heads at you right now. Okay. <laughs> the young Victoria in 2009, the mm-hmm. exterior was used as Kensington Palace. Uh, an Englishman in New, War, in New York in 2009, Never Let Me Go in 2010, uh, Downton Abbey in 2019, The Last Vermeer in 2019, and the movie Rebecca in 2020. It's good to see these places being able to make money from that sort of source. Yes. And keep the the history alive almost because they're, they're recreating what was happening there at the time, except for maybe Spice World. <clears throat> <laughs> um, I have seen uh, interior pictures of um, Hem House and the artwork that hangs on those walls is freaking amazing. Yes. <laughs> amazing. But that's, that's kind of me done. Um, as much as I try to find something that was a little bit intriguing, there are a few bits and pieces that are historically intriguing, um, but um, yeah, we are all about the ghost stories and there are so many of them. So I'm yes. handing over to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are apparently 15 different ghosts that float around mm. this, this place. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to, uh, for a change, I'm, I'm going to list through them and then I'm going to circle back. Mm-hmm. Right, so we have the Duchess on the stairs. Now, this all actually comes from the National Trust, which is really unusual for them to be yes. promoting mm-hmm. the fact that they've got ghosts there. I Good love on it. you, National Trust. Good on you. Uh, so we have Elizabeth, the Duchess of Lauderdale, uh, and there is that rumour that she may have murdered her first husband. Mm. Uh, because remember in the soundscape, they said they found some papers. Mm-hmm. Uh Sorry, I had to just quickly dive back into my notes and double check something. So, yes, it was to show that um, those papers were supposed to show that she had poisoned her first husband mm-hmm. in to be able to marry. What was her lover, mm-hmm. they suggest? Uh, there is the lady in the mirror. Uh, apparently, this is still the Duchess, who seems to enjoy causing a bit of a stir. She's known to loom up menacingly behind visitors who look into the mirror of her bedchamber. She probably doesn't want secrets known. The secrets in the wall, mm-hmm. right? This is one of the many undocumented legends that are floating about around about this house. Uh, but this is the one where the, the butler had a six-year-old daughter. Rada, rada, rada. Um, and we will go on to the next one, the suicidal lover. So, allegedly, in 1790, there was a servant named John McFarlane. And what's good but bad about this one is that it can... They're saying that it can be verified by visitors, that there are words that are scratched onto a window pane on the second floor where apparently a young man jumped to his death in 1780... Uh, this one says 1790, so already we're getting some s- sort of things that don't match up. He had apparently br- uh, fell in love with somebody who was above his status, and he was going up to propose to her, and uh, she, he found out that his love was not returned. Mm-hmm. So he used the diamond ring to uh, inscribe his name, John McFarlane, in the glass before he committed suicide at only 17 years of age. Oh, please. I know. On uh, frosty nights, he can be seen wandering the length of the terrace searching for something. Yeah, the ring. The ring. <laughs> What's it back? He's going to hock it because of that, it. that rotter. <laughs> that, that, that bitch. <laughs> but I, I'd like to know how somebody who was obviously at servant level in the 1780s or 90s, could afford a diamond ring for uh, a lady of station. Absolutely. Unless he nicked Mm. it. Mm. 
So after we've had a bit of sadness, we're going to go to a bit of happiness because we're going to go to the Happy Countess. Now, this was Charlotte Walpole, <laughs> Countess of Dysart. Uh, she was a resident of Ham House at some stage or other, and she can be happily seen waving to all the visitors from her upstairs chambers, oh. seeing her as supposed to be actually a good omen. Mm-hmm. So I like that. We'll have to hopefully see her one day. But not everyone shared her opinion of the house. Her uncle... Horace Walpole, uh, who lived just up the road in his fantasy gothic castle, Strawberry Hill. Oh. Isn't that a great name for a gothic castle? Mm-hmm. Uh, he visited Ham in 1770 and said, at every step, one's spirits sink. So he thinks that Ham House is a miserable place. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We also have... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, yes, we've got a bit of royalty that's hanging around as well. So it's been reported that Charles II, who actually did frequently visit the place during his lifetime, haunts Ham House. Uh, he's been seen in the gardens or his uh, smell of the pipe tobacco has been encountered in the hallway Mm -hmm. then we go on to well they keep mentioning this same ghost over and over so i i think they might be miscounting the the number of ghosts that are actually there Mm, there, there's a sort of thought too that there may be a bit of a curse on the house because there's been 
some good family fortunes, but of course there has been some bad family fortunes where they did lose the house after a while. Uh, when the National Trust acquired the house in 1948, so much of the original fabric was left. So many examples of 17th century lifestyle and fashion remained that the house is now considered the best example of the period in Europe. I don't know what that's got to do with what I was just saying about the family fortunes or lack thereof, uh, but... There we go. A little bit of uh, trivia for you. Well, look, in, in one instance, um, you have a house that uh, displays furniture and the style of centuries prior. Mm. But on the other hand, you go, they didn't update. No, they, they've, they've been saving everything they've for saved just in case. Everything because they didn't have money to make the changes. Oh, that's what it said. They could not afford to make changes over the years. Yeah. Oh, are you psychic or something? Oh, I know. You probably right? read the same article. <laughs> I left out the important bit. That happens sometimes. Uh, right. So the other thought is why people think the place is so haunted because, as you were saying, there is artwork everywhere. Everywhere. And it's portraits. Mm-hmm. So you got the feeling that these eyes are, are staring at you. They're judgy portraits. Mm-hmm. They're watching you wherever you go. We've now got little badges that say judgy Jesus. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> we got it off Timu. It's a hoot. Uh, now, there is also these mysterious footprints that regularly appear in the dust on the staircase and upstairs floors where nobody has been. And... In a report I'm going to read later, they actually refer to these ghostly footprints. It's interesting. In the chapel, there is a woman in black who kneels at the altar where the first Duke of Lauderdale was laid out for a week. Her handprints have been spotted also in the dust on the Duchess's pew. Pew, pew. You do, every time I say that word, you've got to do that. Mm. It's like a tick. <laughs> well, I have many ticks. Well, now, other tick is, um, oh, what is it? We, we always go, oh, supplies. Oh, supplies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we are on to the dog. Dog, there's a ghostly dog. dog. I actually had a really good little story that I was almost going to do as a soundscape, but uh, I wanted to go with the other story. So let me read this to you. The grey autumn light is fading and the wind is soughing through the trees like the whispers of lost souls. Inside, the shadows in this big old panelled house are growing longer and deeper. And there is a thickening silence on the stairs. In other words... It is all very much as one would hope and expect. What you might not be expecting, though, is this. A fast-approaching, skittering noise along the upstairs gallery. Tiny, fast little beats, as if several giant spiders were suddenly running across the wooden floor. The skittering, say those who have heard it, grows louder and closer. The skittering moves to the stairs. It comes down and then... Stops. Really? The skittering is said to be witness to the ghost of a King Charles Spaniel, its spectral paws scrabbling for purchase on the parquet. A disconcertingly cute spectre, then. One would be tempted to hunker down, tickle its ectoplasmic ears and say, Oh, who's a creepy boy, then? (laughs) (laughs) This macabre (laughs) mutt is said to haunt the 17th century ham house in Surrey. Visitors have been taken aback on a regular basis. Only recently, says a member of staff at the house, we had a visitor who complained to us one afternoon that someone was letting a spaniel run amuck in the upper rooms. Upper rooms? Uh, There were no dogs there, of course, because they actually don't allow dogs or animals in the house. Mm -hmm. Recently, a dog skeleton was unearthed in the kitchen garden. Oh. So I wonder if that was the dog. Or if they ran out of meat. You are dreadful for that. (laughs) They ran out of meat. Well, they killed that dog. No, 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 we're not going there. No. At hard times, This was from thetelegraph.co.uk and it was written by Sinclair McClay. Um, It it was cute, but I did like the who's the spectral boy or whatever it was. But I think we may have lost our poop if I've actually said that. All right, so that's that's the puppy dog. Um, Yeah, that was the Duchess's pet. Now, there is also a ghostly wheelchair. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. So move on its own. Yes, a wheelchair is said to move about and change position when no one is looking, of course, all by itself. You can actually see this wheel- wheelchair kept in one of the servants' room at the top of the house. And this is mentioned in the thing I'm going to be going to at the end. Oh, I forgot to mention also that one of the important things to do with the Duchess is that you can smell rosewater perfume once the footfalls have passed. So you sort of hear her shoes clacking up and down between the chapel and the old family apartments on the second floor. But then you get a waft of this rose perfume, which apparently she used to wear quite often. Uh, she's often heard moving around the house and there are regular glimpses of her wearing her willow widow weeds, which is a black satin-like dress. Have you ever heard of... Widow weeds? Well, I think maybe that might be a... Do you reckon that's a typo? Willow weeds? Willow, a, willow or... Oh, sorry. Widow. Widow weeds. A black satin-like dress. Renata's jumping online to have a look. I'm going to keep going while we're here. Now, the attic floors are closed to the public. Uh, and you, up there, apparently, it's super icy cold in winter, stifling hot in summer. So that was the servants' bedrooms because nobody wants to hang around in those sorts of conditions. And that's where we stay when we go away, isn't it, Renata? Up in the rooftops. Absolutely. Guess the only one we can afford. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you'd like to support us, become a grand <laughs> poobar on our Patreon page, pretty please, or buy us a cup of coffee uh, at buy. Buy me a cup of coffee, Anna Renata. And it's just looking at the website. Oh, no words. Uh, I uh, need coffee. Uh, just um, to... Uh, Willow. Yeah, widow. Widow, widow's weeds yeah. refers to the black clothing worn by female oh. widows during the Victorian era, which dictated a strict etiquette of mourning that governed both their behaviour and their appearance following the deaths of their husbands. Oh, wow. So widow's weeds consist of heavy of a heavy black dress that conceals the female figure as well as a black weeping veil worn over the head and face when venturing outdoors. Indoors, women would wear a widow's cap. Oh, well, I've learned something new. Fabulous. There you go. Meanwhile, back in the attic, there has been slamming, dragging, banging noises, uh, as well as heavy footsteps. And these things happen so often that the National Trust staff just just expect it and, and know that it's there and they don't really worry about it anymore. Hmm. Uh, we also have the smell of tobacco that is smelt throughout the house. Overpowering odour of tobacco, particularly in the marble dining room. And two pipes were recently found in the house, which seem to date back to the time of the Duke, who was known for smoking sweet Virginia tobacco. Mm. Now, this was a surprise. I, I hadn't seen this one mentioned in any other article. And this comes from SpookyIsles.com. I do love Spooky Isles. A priest. <gasps> a black-robed clergyman was recently spotted car- crossing the barrier rope and when challenged by the steward, he disappeared through a servant's door in the wall. Um, he may possibly be Gilbert Spinks, <laughs> the Duke's chaplain, who often used the servant's passages to gain access to the Duke's apartment and the Duchess's bedchamber is notoriously chilling. Mm, I'm not going to say anything Mm. else there because I don't want to get in trouble. So they had those little passages behind the grand room so that the servants could scuttle around uh, and not be seen by the the rich and fabulous people. Mm -hmm. The Duchess's bedchamber is supposed to be quite chilling and unwelcoming. She slept there for 21 years during the latter part of her life, virtually confirmed with the the room because of gout. Too much whiskey. Well, that's my husband's excuse anyway. She did eventually die in that room. Um, There is a portrait of her which hangs over the fireplace and it it has a really weird effect on the animals. Now, at first I thought, hang on, they said that no animals were allowed in there. But they they did have two cats that lived in the house. And when they entered that particular room, the cats would spit arch their backs whenever they were near it. Hmm. Maybe it was just a bad painting. I don't know. I'll have to go and check it out, Anne. Yeah. Oh, I think we have to. There apparently was a staff member that was trapped in the office because they were unwilling to leave while they could hear the Duchess crossing up and down in the corridor just outside their room. <gasps> I'd be running out and having oh, a no. look. That's how you know you're a ghost hunter is because you run out. 
into that. And my last little ghostie I'm going to talk about here is the last Earl of Dysart, who owned the house during the 20s and the 30s. And he used to uh, visit the cottage by the gate every Christmas Eve with presents for his chauffeur, which was Mr. Allen and his family. Oh, how lovely. Uh, The Earl was partially blind and walked across the cobbled courtyard tapping his stick before he would arrive at the cottage door and give a nice big loud knock. After the Earl's death in 1935 each Christmas Eve the familiar tapping of his stick can be heard crossing the courtyard and is followed by a loud rap on the door but alas now there is no Earl to be seen and most importantly no prezzies. Oh. Oh, well, that was the author, uh, Zen, uh, Ren Zellen from Spooky Isles. I, I really enjoyed their telling. But now, oh, here we go. I found a report from ghostclub.org. Oh, yes, the famous ghost club. Yes, they have visited this uh, location a couple of times. And this was the the second of the reports that I found. I found it really interesting how they investigate. It wasn't what I was expecting because I think I misunderstood. There is the Society for Psychical Research, which is very scientific and, and quite thorough, where these these guys seem to go on what they feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't go into all of it because there is a lot, but I'll, I will do a little bit because I had a little bit of a laugh so they were talking about the property manager taking them around the house to check out where everything was where the rooms were open what was alarms just like we did in charleville yeah uh during this walk at 2059 everyone except lance ralton did uh, who did not pick up the sense of this smell because he can't smell picked up a strong smell of roses being described like an essence or essential oils like pot, rather than potpourri. Now, this was at the entrance of the Duchess's bedchamber, where apparently in their investigation the year before, they saw footprints appear in the polish, which we talked about the footprints as well. Mm-hmm. So I found that interesting because there was one man who could not smell anything because he didn't have the ability to pick up scents. Everyone else did. So does that mean it was a physical thing or maybe that man didn't have the ability to pick up that sensation? Because if it was one of the Claire's where it's a psychic ability, he would have been able to scent that, wouldn't he? Mm, interesting. Interesting. I just oh, I just thought I'd pass that on. All right, we're going on. So they headed into the chapel and some of our stronger sensitives, Rosie, Parlo, Samut, Greg and Joanne, they all felt like... It was charged with a negative energy. They felt like they were being watched and there was some sort of sense of expectation that something was about to happen. Uh, Greg felt that somebody was just outside the door while Paolo had a strong sense that they ought to be smelling something. (laughs) I'm naughty. I'm sorry. Uh, Right, we're going to go on to the stairs where Greg felt throughout the upper floor that the energy was particularly strong. The staircase on the first landing, uh, Andy felt the same. I love how they're all agreeing with each other. Now, you don't don't want to be the one that says, I get nothing. (laughs) That's us. Outside the door to the round gallery near the foot of the flight of stairs up to the second landing where a team from Paraquest had photographed an orb on an earlier investigation. Oh, good on you, Paraquest, with your orbs. That was when I went, huh? And that's when I had that moment when I went, ah, right here. So they put Rosie and Lance and all the psychics up on the third step from the from the bottom of the flight leading up into Anne's room. Uh, Anne, I think, was the person that was uh, taking people around. And the, uh, people have felt pushed or seized or anything there. Greg felt uneasy, but nobody else felt anything else. But Joanne ad- added that she had felt as if she were being pushed when standing on the first landing. She also thought there was some tragedy associated with the staircase landing that a woman had decided to kill her husband or lover out of expediency there, although the crime itself had taken place elsewhere. Um, So Joanne's picking up on stuff. How how much longer is this thing that you're reading? Excuse me? This this rubbish. (laughs) Excuse me? This is gold. 
Joanne's great. You wait till you hear what she finds oh, out. No. Uh, oh. So, right, the property manager they're talking about the wheelchair, and they said that only that day that uh, the wheelchair had been moved, the label had been thrown onto the ground, and the infrared motion detector had not gone off. Ooh, ah. But I don't think they had any footage of it. It just happened. Right, poor old Richard felt dizzy in the north end of the long gallery. Uh, keep going. I'm just going to skip across <laughs> to the good bits. Yeah, Paolo and Greg bits. commented that um, the basement kitchen had an unpleasant atmosphere, while Rosie disliked the feeling in the corridors leading to it. And the pro- property manager confirmed that regular staff had also shared the same feeling. At the final debrief, Joanne said that she's picking up on the. I'm I'm picking up on the name Elizabeth although she did not pick up on the name in the Duchess's private rooms. I've got a feeling that Joanne may have been reading the history. <laughs> oh, did I use my outside voice mm. there? I'm sorry. No, I did not mean to cast <coughs> aspersions on this lovely person. She's doing a fabulous job. Now, they ended up splitting into teams and then going to vigils. Uh, so there was one team that went to the first landing of the stairs, Greg sensed a young lady dressed in white who'd suffered a violent death by stabbing. And as soon as you said that, Ian's rods crossed at this point and he he began to feel hot. <laughs> now, look, they asked some more questions because we've got to get our history from the, the those who have passed. Oh, no. Now, she passed before her 20th birthday, um, sort of passed... Uh, around her 20th birthday, but not her 21st, and that death occurred in the time of James I, uh, that she had a sister, um, and she was due to be married, and she was a member of the Tolmash family. Uh, and, yeah, so... And she was called Elizabeth. Right. It's a popular name there. Right, we're going to go to Team 2 was in the chapel, and they've got the impression that there is a 20 to 25-year-old woman with slightly curly, short brown hair kneeling to the left, uh, in a yellow dress cut straight across the bosom, and she was praying fervently. And they got the name Maria out of that, and the year, 1624. Geez, they're good on names and, and I reckon what they're wearing, she's... and all with dowsing rods. Rod, rods. <laughs> talk um now tom also had a strong uh, feeling that the cold that they were sensing there was maria hugging him from behind but then i mean this is means the demons are there paolo then saw an orb mm. so you know mm-hmm. that that's it meanwhile andy is a party pooper Andy's boring because Andy didn't feel anything at all. Oh, he had no phenomenal that'd whatsoever. That'd be me sitting in the corner with my arms crossed going, I'm bored. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I'm, I'm nothing. getting nothing and I'm the psychic. Oh. <laughs> I just wanted to see if it was Andy that didn't pick up on the smell either. But no, Andy must have smelt it. Mm. I'm not going to torture you with this for much longer. But uh, Greg, uh, they're on their second vigil, and uh, they, he reckons he got a bit of a weak connection to the Sir Lionel Tolmarsh, uh, who had lived at Ham House with the two children. And he'd met a violent death, according to mm-hmm. the orbs and the dowsing rods that mm-hmm. they were using mm-hmm. at the time, all the sensing. But uh, sadly, there is no historical account of that name or of any sort of accident like that. So um, he's obviously picked up on somebody in history that was there and they haven't documented. So thank God for psychics. Right. We're now going to head up to the Ouija board and they got no responses, but Joanne is going to save the day because Joanne... The ghost club's using a Ouija board? Yes. Oh. Yes. They do in England. They don't have issues. Well, not many of them have issues using it in England. Joanne, bless you, Joanne, because she's on the money yet again. She's picked up on another entity in the house. She sensed a dog about the size of a King Charles Cocker Spaniel. Oh, God, that's perfect. She's on the money, this lady. Wow. She needs to be doing readings for people because she's just absolutely spot on. Um, I'm just going to go... uh, Look, at some stage or other, John Fraser left... John Fraser writes bloody good books. He mm-hmm. wrote the, the book on Poltergeist. Yes. So I can just imagine... He rolled his eyes and left. <laughs> he, he left with Renata. Uh, and look... The guys, we're out the back smoking and I don't even smoke. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking the piss here. Let's let's just make this... We don't mean to offend anyone, but um, because we 
investigate and, and we try to be very logical about it. But what I need to do is I need to go back to the very beginning of this article because, like, after we've had all of this stuff about um, the you know the orbs and the cell, smells and I sense and everything. The, the whole article starts off very sensibly where they debunk quite a few things. So apparently there have been no ghost sightings at Ham Hall until that one about the um, the butler with his daughter. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. And that was actually given to them by an author. So he wrote it in his little memoirs, something about this ghost story. But the problem with this particular person is that he was known to spin a good yarn. Mm -hmm. And a good yarn was far more important than the actual truth. And he was the one who recorded the tale of the Crogland Grange vampire, which is the only vampire story set in England, or true vampire story set in England. Very questionable. So they think he might be good for spinning yarns. Mm-hmm. The the other part with that story is that why would a six year old daughter be living in those areas with their dad, the butler, mm. and they'd never be put to sleep in a room which the greatest lady of the house would have used. So that doesn't make sense. There's no papers that have identified this butler. Um, so they think that that's just sort of all made up. Now, there was the whole thing about the lady scratching on the wall, finding the papers which proved that uh, the Sir Lionel had been murdered. But he didn't die at Ham. He actually had a, a long illness in Paris where he'd gone to seek treatment. Uh, maybe the wife had done a long, slow poisoning over two years, which became a fatal dose, which, I mean, Mercury could do that or white lead, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no real evidence that she murdered him. So that just, again, sounds like it's a particularly good story. So I just thought that was an interesting thing that they've started off with all these, no, this is not true and that's not true and how can that possibly be? And then they've gone into the sensing feeling and the orbs. Yes. But that basically wraps up my part of the story. So interestingly, um, the ghosts start to appear in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Prior to that... Um, with a house that and an area that dates back to the 1100s and a house that dates back to uh, 1600s, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you would think there'd be more concrete evidence. I, do they allow paranormal investigators to go in? I think they run tours there because didn't they say in the thing there that they it's, ran ghost hunting tours? Yeah. So um, I think we need to go visit. Yes, because this is intriguing. Why do you have stories coming through so late in history and yet this house has been standing for so long? Was it just something that they just didn't do? Maybe because it was in the family for so long uh, and it only came into the National Trust's hands um, in the 1900s that people have been exploring the whole ghosty thing. Mm. Um, There seems to be no historical evidence of people who have lived in the house prior to the 1900s talking about ghosts. No. Uh, So this is quite an interesting place. I would think that it would absolutely be haunted. Yeah, and these historical ghosts that have not appeared before mid-1800s are all of a sudden everywhere. Everywhere. There's 15 of them. Yeah, 16, I think. I've lost count. Mm. But, yeah, it's mm, interesting. Or did we just become aware to that type of phenomena from the mid-1800s and it wasn't spoken about because that's when the age of spiritualism kicked Mm, off. Yeah, could be possible, absolutely. Anyway, that is going to bring us to the end of this podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. You know the deal, guys. Please share it around. Let people know about us. We want to grow our family, our audience. If you want to support us, Patreons. Make sure it's the Grand Pooh Bars because they get the best stuff. And uh, buy us a coffee. Buy me a coffee, Anna Renata. We appreciate everything you do for us. And guys, we'll see you on the dark side. Come on, Renata, you can do it. Um, be, fr- be frightfully good. And our final one. Don't be an asshole. No! <laughs> Don't be a dickhead. <laughs> I always get it wrong. Oh, 
wrong, wrong part of the body. We Sorry. love it, don't we? Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.